Now listening to Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 138. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. Today, we are going to talk a little bit about the survey that we hope you took already, or if you're listening to this in the future, it's irrelevant to you, and sorry about that. Uh, I'm going to ask you about your stream yesterday. Uh, I've got a new art tip. Do you have a Unity tip? I do. Nice. Didn't you just say that you were going to stop apologizing by using your power stance? Uh, did I apologize for something? You did. You just apologized for the uh, um, survey for future listeners. Mm. Do you watch, uh, or have you heard of Amy Schumer at all? Yes. She has this really funny bit on uh, season three of her show where uh, she's making the point that women in general apologize too much. And I don't, I don't know, it's like probably a lot of people, not just women, right? But like uh, her, you know, as a woman, her slant is often um, about female stuff. And uh, there's a really funny bit about just <laughs> people apologizing too much. I think I saw that. It was like a panel of women oh, you saw panelists it. and like... They were just basically spent the entire time apologizing to each other instead of actually talking about whatever it is they were supposed to be there talking about. Yeah, I bet we do it uh, too much as well. So, sorry about that. <laughs> Did you like that? <sighs> right? It's meta. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry if we've talked about this before. <laughs> right. Sorry for mentioning this thing. Yeah. Sorry for sorriness. Yeah. We don't really <laughs> exude confidence always, do we? We try. Sometimes we do, right? Sometimes. Are we confident about a Wizard Lizard 2? <laughs> maybe <laughs> there's that confidence yeah yes. no yes. we're good we're good we're good so uh the survey yeah take it there's some really good stuff on there and uh we're gonna go over we're gonna keep it open one more week so this is your last chance next week i'll shut up about it and i'll start talking about the results and uh, it'll be good stuff and we'll use that to inform the video contents like uh i'm gonna i'm gonna do a weekly stream that's my plan, eventually. This is your last chance to do work for us. <laughs> so make sure that you <laughs> jump on that, is that how invaluable you see it? opportunity. Is that how you see it? Maybe it's doing <laughs> us a favor. Do us a favor and take the survey and, and give us your brain. <laughs> Let right. us know your thoughts on stuff. Uh, I want to know about your stream yesterday, even though I was, I was there the whole time. I, I want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't get enough of my stream. I can't. I want more stream. That's I'm always right. sad when you're like, well... I think that's about it for this week. I'm like, no, Jeff, keep streaming. I actually kind of cut it a little shorter than I might have this week just because um, I decided to wear my other tiger hat on the stream. (laughs) Were you too hot and sweaty? No, it wasn't that. It was that um, as soon as I put that hat on, oh. like I started getting allergies. Yeah. I think it was dusty because it had yeah. been sitting in the closet for a few weeks. Right. Because I've been wearing the other tiger hat. <laughs> Anyways, and so I got like really snotty and like allergic. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, I felt, you know, I was like blowing my nose and sneezing and I just felt kind of crappy. Hmm. I wonder if it was a horse hat, if it would have just made you more horsey. I said, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. You should uh, keep that thing like in a bag or something, maybe. I, I love yeah. that you have seasonal tiger hats. <laughs> like, what kind of ignorance should I wear today? <laughs> this is my summer ignorance and my <laughs> my winter line. This is the winter version of I don't know what I'm talking about. Join me. <laughs> Join me, won't you? By the fire with a cup of hot cocoa and my winter tiger hat. That sounds great. I would watch you stream by the fire with a cup of hot cocoa. You know what I'll do is I'll make a cup of hot cocoa and then I'll put like a crackling fire on the green screen in the background, <laughs> like a, we, a ski uh, lodge. <laughs> we did that when we have a, I had a get together like t- forever ago because time is flying, but we actually did have people over at one point in time 
And uh, instead of, we were thinking like, you know, music or if you put a movie on, that's too distracting, you know? So we, we put on Netflix and we picked one of these like, just like a fire simulator, basically mm. just a fireplace. Cool. It's weird. I don't even know they, uh, they offered stuff like that, but like there's a legitimate use case for that. And then later there was like this section of uh, Netflix where it's like, because you watched, you know, it's because like, you watch crackling fire yeah it was like you might also like bubbling babble the <laughs> wonderful river calming ocean melissa's been using um some ipad app that has like go to sleep sounds oh nice and White crackling news. fire is one of them yeah i like it yeah so what did you game dev yesterday sir on your live stream I game devved all the game devery. Ooh, all of it. That's a lot. No, not really. <laughs> uh, actually, I worked on some particle stuff. I learned some new stuff, actually. Um, nice. I'm getting a little bit more comfortable diving into like things that I don't necessarily know how to do on my stream. Nice. Because uh, you gave me these particle graphics. Yep. Even though I've asked you several times to give me particle graphics in separate sprite sheets, <laughs> apparently you like to ignore me. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't You're welcome. It. But anyways, it actually gave me an opportunity to try and figure out how to do the sprite sheeting, uh, how to you know actually work with sprite sheeted particles. So do you not need them anymore in their own separate files? Uh, it depends. I mean... Depends what could, the particles are all about? Yeah, it depends what the part... It, it seems like actually they could be all in, their same, in, in a single file actually now because I figured out how the sprite sheeter portion works it's weird because like it's completely separate than the regular sprite sheeting in unity hmm, that's weird which is why it didn't really kind of click with me at first it was not intuitive and no it wasn't because like in the normal sprite sheets you actually you know use the sprite editor to slice up an image into sprites and you have like these individual sprites yeah but the way that the particle sprite sheeter works is that you give it a material that has an image not a sprite attached to it and then in the particle emitter you tell it how to slice up the sprites and which ones to use and whatnot gotcha so it's just i mean i don't know it it is what it is right but um (laughs) it's interesting because actually you can do a couple different things one is that you can do like a random sampling uh so like let's say you gave me a particle sheet that had like a bunch of different uh leaves on it you know, like brown leaves, yellow leaves, green leaves, leaves of different shapes and sizes. Mm, that sounds fun. I could uh, make a particle emitter that just spat out, you know, these kind of random leaves, mm. which could look kind of cool. I want to do that now. <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty fun, right? Um, the other thing that uh, I did yesterday that um, you enabled was an animated particle. So <laughs> you made like these curses that have like this like rotating face. Yeah. They look really creepy. Actually, I really like them. Oh, thank you. Um, and it was weird because like I hadn't really been thinking about animated particles, uh, but you <laughs> just gave me this spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Sheet. Yeah, I don't know where those came from. Yeah, it's cool though. It gave me an opportunity to learn something new. Nice. Uh, so I got those working. They look pretty cool. So it's like the particles are like these little balls with these creepy faces, and the face kind of rotates around the ball. And uh, and so I got that working with the particle emitter. I learned a few things about uh about that situation too one thing though uh, i did learn about that specific implementation is that when you have a sprite sheet that you're going to use for a particle animation it basically needs to be just the frames you want to use for that animation and nothing more and right. no blank space yeah um just because of the way that the animator works because the way the animator works is that basically it says 
start at, um, and, and it does indexes. So if you're familiar with sprite sheeting, there's kind of two ways that you can think about the position of a sprite. Like let's say you have a three by three sprite sheet. You know, you've got three, three rows up and down and then three columns left and right. And so there's nine images total. One way to think about the positioning of the sprite sheet is like in like Cartesian coordinates. You know, the top left is zero zero, the middle is one one, the bottom right is two two, you know, so on and so forth. But the other way to think about it is in terms of indices, like an index of the sprite sheet, and that's just going to be a single integer that starts from zero and goes to, in this case, uh, eight or nine. No, you got it right. Don't question yourself. <laughs> Go with your gut. That's right. That's right. The first time. I was trying to remember because uh, I had to play with it in the Unity editor. But anyways, uh, you, have, you have nine frames, and they each have an index starting at zero. So the top left would be zero, uh, the middle top would be one, the top right would be two, and then you would drop down to the next row for three. Right. And uh, it requires knowing the width of the sprite sheet in order to make that mathematical calculation happen. Yeah. So it's a little different, but that is the way that the Unity particle sprite sheeting works is that you basically tell it that, okay, I have this sprite sheet, and it's uh, X by Y number of rows. So you would say, like, okay, I've got a sprite sheet, and it's three by three tiles high. You don't actually give it pixel coordinates, because what it does is it just takes the entire size of the the sprite sheet and divides it by that number. So if the sprite sheet is, you know, let's say uh, 100 pixels... And you say there are two columns and two rows, it's going to say, great, each sprite is 50 by 50. Gotcha. Right? <clears throat> so it's just a, it's a different paradigm with sprite sheeting than the regular Unity stuff, hmm. uh, which is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I would think it would all be consolidated and done the same way and whatnot. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think that what probably happened is that the particle support. Uh, predates a lot of the sprite stuff, maybe? Yeah. I, I don't uh, know for be. sure. But it could be that, you know, they start out with like a very, you know, at least for what I understand, they start out with a very 3D-centric engine. Yeah. And uh, and so they might not have had the sprite sheeting support that they have now in those first versions, but they probably did have like this particle support. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyways, who knows? I'm, you know, tiger hatting. <laughs> Put that tiger head on. (laughs) Yes. I actually did some uh, coding around like a matrix, you know, a a sprite sheet. Um, Basically, what I wanted was, uh, I think it was last week, who knows? I was working on the uh, the explosion animation. Mm -hmm. And so, I whipped together a quick little JavaScript tool, uh, you know, a little web app to cycle through the frames. And at one point, I wanted the ability to kind of like, the way it works is you load it up and it just starts playing the animation, right? And I wanted the ability to stop it, and I wanted the ability to go kind of cycle through the frames myself with, like, the arrow keys left and right. And so I can go, like, left, 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 right, 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 and I can look at the frames and compare them individually. Very helpful when you're animating, right? Otherwise, you're, like, you're kind of flying blind in some regards, and that sucks. So I didn't want that. Um, And I had to mess with, like, the conversion between X and Y to uh, an indexes, you know? And uh, I didn't know that math off the top of my head. I feel like such a failure. I had to look it up and... uh, or I think I maybe I maybe I solved it myself. It's very simple math, and like when you're done, it's one of those things where it's like you know, let's say it takes you 20 minutes to figure out the math, and when you're done, it's like two lines of code, and you're like, ah, <laughs> why did I know that math at the top of my head? I think because it's like I mean, I'll be brutally honest here. I have to look <laughs> up that conversion quite often. 
Oh, okay. And I do that kind of math all the time. Yeah. The, like X, Y, to indice conversion. Yeah. Or index. Indices. That reminds me of like interview questions, you know, being interviewed. Because that might be the kind of question you would get someone asking you at an interview. And I would have failed it, you know. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is like I, that is a tool in my toolkit. It's just buried deep and I need to like, you know... <laughs> I, wrestle around to find it and whatnot and like i got it done and it only took like took me less than half an hour you know and like that's the kind of thing that i would have bombed in an interview and that just goes to show that like that interview tactic probably isn't great you know yeah i think uh for me it's the conversion from an index to xy that i have trouble remembering from an index to xy because it's like you need to, one of them you divide and the other one you do a modulo operation yeah and I always forget which one is which. Right. Uh, but anyways, yeah. Yeah, I think that's... I think I went from index to XY is what I did. I think that uh, the thing that makes it difficult is that uh, I typically just kind of, for a given project, I'll write that function once mm-hmm. and then I'll put it somewhere and then I'll just use it all the time, you know? Convert yeah. XY to index. Convert index to XY. Yeah. Whenever I code something up literally tiny like this, though, these days, I uh, I use just pure vanilla HTML and JavaScript, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't uh, I, I don't anymore have a little toolkit. And uh, I kind of like it that way because when I need a tool, like, like a you know, let's say I needed jQuery or I felt like I needed something else like Jin or whatnot... Probably what I'm doing is too complicated. <laughs> I need something where it's like, I just need to build like the first couple of baby steps and it'll right. be good enough, you know? Um, something else that I actually find myself doing a lot that I've now committed to memory, I think, is converting an angle to a vector and back. Ooh. That's another conversion I do a lot. That's a good one. Yeah, I um, I remember that because the, the first time I kind of saw that code in one of my own projects was when you did it in Onslaught Arena. I remember being like, like all that vector math you were doing was awesome to me because I was always kind of aware of it, but I never really used it in my own code and whatnot. And so when I saw it in practice, I was like, awesome. And then I would try to do something else where I was like, okay, I need to do something weird. Like I need to aim between this arbitrary object and the player or something. And I'd have to go and grab that math and figure it out. You know, and I always found that really fun. And every time you do it, you're like, math level up. (laughs) I am awesome. I'm the smartest man alive kind of thing. I think it's, uh, I mean, I guess for us, maybe it's just easier to learn in the game context because yeah. of the visual component. Yes. But I find it so much easier to understand these mathematical concepts when, you know, you have a player and he's trying to fire projectiles around an angle, like along a circle, basically. Yeah. Uh, for like a twin stick shooter or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you can actually like use these mathematical functions and see what the results are. Yeah. And it really helps you kind of understand, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> Yeah, I know we've talked about this in the podcast before, the kind of like context is everything, you know, where like back in school where it was like, you want to take physics? Let's do it. Here's some arbitrary abstract thing and here's how it affects some other abstract thing. Isn't this exciting, everyone? And you're like, what are you talking about, you know? (laughs) Or like you with math, like Jenny has three apples. (laughs) If Jenny ate half an apple and you're like, shut up, that's not exciting, you know? You want to hear about like, okay, give me a rocket, then let's talk about physics, you know, or like, okay, you want to talk about geometry, uh, trigonometry, like, let's talk about how to shoot, like, what angle to shoot someone at, <laughs> like, that's, that's fun stuff, right? Like, that would get, I would think, more people on board, right? I feel like uh, you either fall into one of two camps. Either you're like us, and you need concrete examples, in which case <laughs> you go into engineering, 
yeah. of some kind, <laughs> or you don't, and you are happy in abstract land and become like a theoretical physicist or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever floats your boat, right? Right. But like you and I have never, have <clears throat> never really been turned on by academia type of things. But I mean, a lot of people do, and that's cool. Yeah. Um, but here's some context for the, uh, the the particle stuff we were talking about earlier. So there's this scene in AWL2 where Raga goes and finds this chest and uh, opens it up. And then all these curses come out of the chest and they curse the house, right? Yes. And what we had, uh, the first kind of the first like placeholder pass was these really derpy looking <laughs> <laughs> like, like Pac-Man style ghosts, but even worse. And uh, it didn't look very satisfying. And so it was one of these tickets where like... Um, my favorite kind of ticket is where we've already done the kind of groundwork where it's like, we know what the concept is. We know what needs to be drawn. We just need to draw it. Right. But like the ones where we don't really necessarily know what we're looking for. Those are so hard because it's like trying to shoot a moving target, you know? Right. And uh, I was talking about this a little bit on the forum, but like, I think the best way is just to jump into it, you know, just start with whatever in the world that you have, because at that point you're at least answering questions such as what don't we want it to look like? You know? And so I just jumped into it and like for some reason, I think it was because I was doing that explosion animation not that long ago and I had this animation tool, which now that I think about it, I didn't actually use in the process. (laughs) Uh, Shame on me. But uh, basically I was like, I couldn't come up with any one specific image that I was jazzed about. And I had this idea for like, maybe there's these faces that kind of curse stuff that you see recurring throughout the game. You'll see the curses and you're like, oh, the curse is really strong here. And you see these faces, it's kind of almost like... um, those little glowing sparkles in World of Warcraft lets you know that you can pick something up or whatnot. Mm. There'd be these little, you know, face curses. And I couldn't find uh, one specific angle that I liked either. And so I started drawing it from different angles. And that's a big thing these days too. I don't, I don't like things straight on, you know, I don't like things without some kind of tilt to it. And uh, so I was drawing them from these different angles. And then I was like, you know, I'm, I'm only a couple of steps away from making this a full cycle where they could just rotate around and that might look pretty cool. So I just did that. And then um, the sprite sheet I gave you ended up being like it needed a couple of more passes before you could even use it. Because the first one I gave you, I didn't even like, again, I I don't know what I was doing, right? I'm just like, I'm just making some stuff and hope it looks good, right? So I gave you this sprite sheet that was like a five by five or something. And the first handful were all like this kind of black or gray kind of curse face. And they went through this animation cycle. And then at the ends, there was a collection of like a handful of different color schemes because I didn't even know for sure which one was going to look best. It was purple or blue or black or whatever. And then also sometimes the way that you use the sprites, especially particles is you'll just kind of use the sprite as like a, a value, right? Where it's like, you know, I might have different you know, hues in there. It might be blues and reds or whatever, but, you, but the way it renders in unity It'll be just like a solid white color or something. Mm-hmm. Well, you can it basically like this uses, yeah, you can use like, you can use it as a mask, essentially. Well, yeah. really what you can do is you could just apply a color to it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I didn't necessarily know what it was that you were going to need. So I just gave a spreadsheet over. And then this was kind of fun. Um, live on the stream, you were like, oh, I can't really use this as is, like as you were, you know, integrating it with the game. Like you didn't know either. Like, if it, like at the end, those extra frames were kind of kicking in. Mm-hmm. So it'd cycle through the animation and then you'd see like these different colored frames in different positions and then you'd see some blank frames and you're like, this is not usable. So you're like, Matt, Matt, <laughs> if you're listening, <laughs> help me. Help. And uh, luckily I was in there. And then so uh, I gave you another pass, but it wasn't quite right either. Because there's this weird thing with Unity where they prefer, I think it's for optimization reasons, but correct me if I'm wrong, but they prefer image files to be of powers of two, right? 
Yeah, I think it's a optimization step. The I think the engine uh, will convert it to a power of two anyway. Right. But the pro I think the problem there is that when it converts it to a power of two, it's an issue if you're trying to do pixel graphics. Mm. Because if you're trying to do pixel graphics, you don't want the engine to like stretch and scale things for you. Yeah, man, I'm so over pixel graphics. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal in our use case, honestly. So yeah, um, that's good. Fine. So then I gave you another one, and uh, luckily it just so happens to be nine frames, which fit great into a three by three. Mm-hmm. And so we got that rocking, and uh, yeah, it seemed to work pretty well. Yeah, I liked it. It turned out pretty well, and uh, it looks pretty cool. It's definitely an improvement over the old cursor, so I was happy with that. So we worked on that, and then I worked on a little bit of player projectile stuff. Ooh. And I worked on um, a pig head enemy that you drew. It's like this, this you know, uh, decapitated kind of like stuffed pig head. Yeah. And it's got an <laughs> apple in his mouth. And, he, you know, I was just kind of playing with his behavior and stuff uh, and making him shoot apple projectiles. I'm, and, I'm uh, really in love with that monster concept, I have to say. <laughs> it's pretty fun. And, and it came from a place of us <clears throat> basically saying no and trying to establish limitations, right? Because, like, in the first game, uh, A Wizard's Lizard, you know, it takes place in a town and there's there's areas there's dungeons you know like if we had had enough money we might have made like areas of fire dungeon and a nice dungeon and everything but as it was we were like i don't know cemetery crypt and sewer you know but it could have been anything is the point right and in the sequel it takes place in the wizard's house which is much more limiting right but it's good for us because it got us thinking about like okay a kitchen a kitchen is an obvious place in the house it should probably be represented at least with some graphics if not with an entire dungeon and we like the idea of an entire dungeon and so we were like what's dangerous in a dungeon, you know? And we were trying to think about, you know, knives and fire and stuff like that's obviously dangerous. But then we were thinking about, like, gruesome. Like, the first game was kind of gross. There's guts and there's lots of death, you know? And it's a very morbid game. And so I started looking at, like, things that you'd eat and animals coming back to life. And uh, it kind of worked out really well. There's, like, this pig carcass. You can some pretty normal thing. You see, like, a whole pig on a platter. And then it's pretty common. You put an apple in its mouth, right? Or some kind of fruit or vegetable. And uh, cutting the head off and have it fly around and then spitting the apples out that it's got in its mouth just seemed organic. And it was this really great time where it's like, this doesn't always happen, you know, where the design and the concept and the skin and everything just kind of married together really well. Whereas with a lot of other things, it might be like, you know, the design is good, but the skin is like, what? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> or, or like, you know, vice versa, where it's like, we get this really cool slime creature, but we don't know how it should behave, you know? And, and in those cases, you end up coming up with something that feels kind of muddy. But uh, in this case, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong because we haven't actually seen it in game and played with it and whatnot. But just as a concept and uh, a theoretical design, I'm, I'm really liking that concept. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so that's kind of where I ended up my stream. Uh, yesterday and i will export that to youtube probably today probably but yeah that's uh that's kind of where i ended up so uh thanks everyone that kind of came out and hung out with me because you know it's always fun to talk shop it's interesting uh oftentimes people will you know start asking me questions on the stream and i'll you know be answering it because i love to talk about game dev stuff and then they'll apologize for distracting me and i'm like (laughs) no 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 it's fine you know i you're like that's the point. Like I'm here. Yeah. You're you're there mostly to interact with people, right? Yeah. Like you I need to be driving the ship. You need to be moving. You know the the productivity and the, and you be doing something in Unity. But like the whole point is that you're doing it for people. Right. Yeah. And you know if I wanted to be not distracted, I would not be streaming probably. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna log off now. Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> you guys are distracting me from my work. Ah, uh, I'm sick of these questions. Yes. <laughs> nice. Anyways, yeah, just, you know, uh, if there's an overlap here between the Lost Cast listeners and the viewers, which, you know, there typically is, uh, yeah, feel free to just ask me whatever. If you have nice. a question about what it is I'm working on, or if you have a question about something else, you know, doesn't even necessarily need to be exactly related to what I'm working on. It could just be game dev or random Unity stuff. I like to learn new things in Unity. So You do. You've been learning rapidly. Yeah. It's really easy to learn. I mean, it's just uh, just figuring out how Unity wants things done, you know? Yeah. Uh, especially coming from a game dev background, you know, I, I have a general idea of how games are made. Right. And uh, it's mostly just figuring out how Unity wants you to do things. And that sprite sheet thing I was talking about earlier is a perfect example of, you know, I, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to have a sprite sheet and be able to, you know, do a couple things. One is have a random sprite picked or have an animation sequence play on the particles themselves. But it took me, you know, a good half an hour or so or 45 minutes maybe to figure out how Unity wanted me to go about telling it how to do that. Right. <laughs> it's very opinionated. It is, yeah. It's like, no, you must ask me in the exact correct way. <laughs> well, are you ready for my art tip? I am more than ready. Edge of your seat, right? That's right. So uh, last episode, I think it was uh, Phil Sketchbooks, right? Yeah. I think yeah, I'm getting close to the end. How many pages? Let's see, I got a sketchbook right here. I got like one, two, three, four. I got like six pages left. So I'm going to probably bang that out this week. Wow. And then I've got one more sketchbook filled. And I I don't know, not quite a level up. <laughs> Maybe half a level. I would uh, be really interested to see the contents of your sketchbook. You should like scan them all in page by page. Oh, jeez. <laughs> How about I burn them? No, Matt, you can't burn them. I know. I, I am keeping them around. There's there's very two different schools of thought on that. Um, actually, James Gurney recommends having uh, funeral pyres. <laughs> what? Oh, yes, and, and burning all of your old stuff. And uh, I actually got another box, I may have mentioned, uh, another box from my mom full of game design stuff. I actually tweeted recently. There was a, uh, a D20 uh, game design in there where I was making a uh, Dungeons & Dragons game for my friends. So mm. I would put that in like junior high or early high school or something i don't know I, I couldn't spell certain words so i'm hoping it was like fourth grade <laughs> but uh but who knows it was probably like last year yeah i mean i don't know me being a really nostalgic person i like to keep stuff around you know so i'll probably i'll probably do that but uh oh, man, and it's kind of nice i can't fathom burning or getting rid of that kind of stuff i'm like so <laughs> unhappy that i don't have access to some of my really early programming stuff. oh your key basic games yeah i'm i'm sad for that too i actually found a bunch of mine and uh there's this thing i've been meaning to try out called i think it's called box.app uh i might have that wrong though but it's basically like a really good dos emulator that should just work for um mac and i think it's uh, called boxer boxer okay I'll put a link in the show notes and uh, I, I download it and everything, but like who has the time, man? Like we've been sprinting so hard for this <laughs> Kickstarter and stuff. Like I, that's the kind of thing where like I'm, I'm taking a vacation after the Kickstarter, you know, uh, good or bad <laughs> success or failure. I'm, I need to just unwind and not, not work all the time for a little while. And maybe that'll be, you know, during that period, maybe I'll finally get into some of those old uh, Q basic projects, but uh, there was some good stuff in there. There's a turn-based local multiplayer strategy game. There was a uh, a local multi like most of them were local multiplayer because the reason I was making games at all was to play them with my friends and I would like 
you know, that was before the internet. We were hanging out at each other's houses. So it'd be like, we have one keyboard and we have two or three players. Let's, let's do this. And I would make games based on that, you know? That's really interesting because my experience was the opposite. Like I didn't have a lot of friends who were into that kind of stuff. What a loser. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> I made a lot of single player RPG games. I did do those as well. Got that on top of you, Jeff. It's more um, prolific, I guess, when I was 10 or something. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> uh, no, but that'd be cool. If, like, uh, they got to be somewhere. Are, there, are they nowhere? Are your games just lost forever? They probably are gone. Mm. Mm. Yeah, oh, well. I found mine on uh, an old floppy disk, like a 3.5. Remember those, kids? Most people don't. <laughs> it's very much a slice in time. But uh, anyway, some someday I will get into Boxer or some other kind of DOS emulator, and I'll try to get those running and maybe make some streams out of them or like just make some videos. And like, hey, look at this crap I made 20 years ago. <clears throat> right. Let's play Matt's old crap. <laughs> Anywho, um, this is art tip number six out of question mark a lot i guess uh and yeah last episodes was fill sketchbooks um pretty much as long as you're filling sketchbooks you will be improving although deliberate practice is the way you improve rapidly but uh here's one that i found pretty helpful is uh to measure your progress and it's also to determine your position and what you what this means is like you can almost objectively measure yourself as an artist almost you can look at, say, a reference. Like, let's say you're drawing your own hand, right? You can take a photo of it, or you can just look at it, and you can just draw it. And you can take your drawing somehow, you can scan it over, do it on tracing paper or something, and you can lay it over the, either the image or your hand itself and see how you did. And you can measure it for accuracy. And you can be like, wow, I'm really bad at this, you know? <laughs> and there's other things, too. Like, your ability to draw is not just your ability to look at a reference and render it on paper. You know, your ability is uh, to draw also comes from your ability to conjure things from memory or imagination, you know, to make things up or to be like, oh yeah, I can draw a fire hydrant. I've drawn hundreds of those. I used to be a fireman and I would just sit there and sketch all day. Like I'm amazing at fire hydrants. But then it's like a dragon and I'm like, I've never seen a dragon, you know, and like no one's ever seen a dragon. I, I can't really draw a dragon. That's where the imagination comes from or like the ability to combine things you have studied like you know lizards and and birds and that kind of thing right mm -hmm. um there's also another thing which is your ability to manipulate 3d objects in space you know like these are common uh was it sats or something you would see like it would show you a 3d object and it'll usually be pretty primitive like kind of a basic thing like maybe an l shape or or like something simple like that a piece of swiss cheese or something right and it would be like here's an image <clears throat> rendered in 3d and it would be like, you know, uh, A through D, which one of these four images is the image that you see, but rotated, right? And huh. it's hard. And it's like, you have to kind of take that and simulate it in your mind and like rotate it. And then hopefully you get to the right place, you know? And some people are just better at that than others. And it's something you can practice. You know, some people are going to be like with anything inherently better than others, but you can practice it. And you can also definitely measure your ability to do so. You know, you can go into a 3D program, you can show an object, and you can sketch it out. Then you can imagine it rotated, and then sketch that, and then actually physically rotate, or not physically, but, you know, actually rotate it in the 3D program, and then see how you did. Huh. You know, and do it once again, put it over, and be like, wow, I'm really bad at this. <laughs> once again. Um, something else, too, is your mechanical ability. Um, here's a good example is you might watch people stream or see some time lapses or, uh, or whatever. And you'll notice that, um, a lot of artists will rotate their canvases or they'll just, you know, if drawing on a sketchbook, they'll just rotate it around on their desk. Right. And why, why is that done? You know, it's because experienced artists 
know how they get the best lines out of their stupid human hands you know like we've got we've got these arms we have to deal with and they're shaky you know like you ever you ever try to hold something steady like a camera or like if you've ever gone shooting like to a shooting range you're holding a gun steady and you're shaking you might just be trying to hold your arm out as steady as you possibly can you know and when you get to that ability to measure things very closely like when you're looking down a scope of a gun or something you can see that your arms like your heartbeat you can see that affect your aim you can see that how like your hands just constantly shake you know like everything physical is constantly vibrating and you can really see that with right. your arms and stuff and so um when you draw a whole whole lot you'll start to realize like man when i let's say i've got my pencil in my hand and when i go from the right to the left personally me i draw lousy lines and sometimes I can't stop myself from doing it. You know, I'm just sketch, 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 and it's, it's inevitable. I'm going to draw from the right to the left. And those are garbage lines, you know? <laughs> garbage lines. Okay. And what you want is, like, my best lines start from the lower left and go up to, up to the upper right. And so it's just kind of this, like, fwing. It's like a, I don't know, it's just, it comes from the elbow. You know, it's much smoother. Whereas when I go from the right to the left, being right-handed, it's all in the wrist. And it's the skewed, horrible, wiggly, crappy line. And so I know that's like the knowing that the best lines come out of me from the lower left to the upper right. I can rotate the canvas and compensate for that, you know. I see. And there's this really great thing. I'll see if I can find it on uh, on Control Paint. He's got this uh, kind of I don't know a homework type of thing you can download. But basically, what it is is a bunch of attractive lines, you know, like little S curves and C curves and stuff like that. And what you can do is start to draw over them. And you can see how you did. You can be like, you know, mechanically, my lines all suck. I need to work on these. Or you can be like, these lines were garbage. These lines look pretty good. And that gives you something to focus on. You know, you can be like, well, as long as I'm drawing lines from this angle, whatever it is that works for you as an artist, it could be any angle, you know, but whatever that is, there's probably going to be one specific type of line that you draw better with your own hands, you know, and you can find that out by practicing and looking and measuring interesting yeah and so the point of all that is to see where you're at and see what needs improvement you know and you might be like oh i i really want to do this massive painting or something you can actually see if you're ready you know you can study this stuff you can you can test out certain subjects within the subject that you want to draw and you can do little sketches of those and you can compare them to the real thing if, if you're working with reference or whatnot and you can be like okay, I want to be at, say, like an 8 on the scale, and I'm currently at like a 3, you know, any kind of arbitrary scale you make up for quality. And uh, that is really helpful because a big part of it is being honest with yourself. You know, like, what am I capable of doing versus what am I just not ready for yet? Right, yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, measurement obviously kind of transcends art into really any discipline. Yeah. As usual. Um, yeah, it's helpful. You know, like uh, a lot of people have these aspirations of like, oh man, I want to make this cool first person shooter horror game MMO kind of thing, you know? And it's like, <laughs> can you make a first person shooter starting off? You know, can you make an MMO? Can you make just a server where two clients talk to each other through the server? You know, like, can you, like these little slices of that giant, that big thing that you want to make, you know, you can find out if you're ready for that by by measuring your progress in the many tiny areas that it would make to encompass this, this whole thing, you know? Yeah. It's useful. That's a good tip. Yeah. Measure your stuff. Yeah. Measure your progress, see how you're doing and like, see what needs improving. And like, I don't know if I think for a lot of people, especially beginner artists, it's going to be very depressing 
But <laughs> right. when you look at the other tips, you know, you look at the drawing every day, you look at the filling sketchbooks, setting goals, uh, look, using 3D primitives and that kind of stuff. Uh, you can see how you can improve. And this is the fun thing, too. It's fun to measure every N, you know, every period of time, like every three months, every six months. You could you could just draw some primitives and see if they're better than your primitives from six months ago. You know, you could render your hand. You could do some one-hour study of the same thing you've done before. It's like you know? a weigh-in, right? Like every yeah. month you weigh yourself and see how much weight you lost or gained or whatever you're trying to do. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, you know, keeps you... Uh, Keeps you knowing if you're headed in the right direction, right? Yeah. I, right. I'm really big on, on progress and like, you know, not seeing any progress is really defeating. That's one of the biggest like killers of motivation, I think. And, and any progress whatsoever, I think, is is highly motivating. And measurement is great because it kind of gives you like a concrete one metric usually by which to, you know, judge whatever it is you're doing. Yes, for sure. You know, because, you know, with the weight loss analogy or whatever, like you might kind of subjectively or maybe objectively feel better you know like i feel like i have more energy i feel like i'm able to take longer walks or lift more weight or whatever yeah um but there's nothing like having that you know okay i can bench press you know 200 pounds and you know last month i could only do 150 right yeah some things are objective like that you know like if your goal is i want to bench press 300 pounds like you can actually look and because that's the only thing that matters right there's no other real factors. You either can or you cannot bench press that amount. But something like, I would say most things are subjective, especially when you're talking about creative endeavors like making video games, you know, or drawing pictures or coding stuff, you know. Uh, because basically what happens is like, let's say you're trying to lose weight, right? And so you're running and you're going to the gym. And then like after a month, you look at it and you're like, I lost two pounds or maybe even I gained two pounds. And you can like look at your belly and you're like, I know I lost, I lost some chub, right and like but it can be very confusing because you're like you actually gained muscle you know so mm-hmm. like things are hard to measure i'll just say that That's and true. so it's like yeah. even though you might not feel like you're making progress you need to look closer sometimes and be like you know i am it's just it's like it's hard to measure or it's very small progress which small progress is still progress yeah that's another thing about measurement uh, i think it's really important what you said is that uh, you have to make sure that you understand the measurement i yeah. think it's one of the things that's uh, always been a big kind of uh black box to me about like user analytics and stuff is that that's measurement right like if you're measuring engagement with your game or measuring you know a payment funnel right. um just collecting the data is like a, a tough step and then yeah understanding what those data points mean is another step so not only do you have to measure but then you need to uh analyze the measurements and really understand what they actually mean yeah there's people whose entire job is just to analyze and make sense of game data you know especially like giant mobile social casual kind of game companies where they get (laughs) capital b big data and they're basically their entire job and they make bank you know it's just to analyze that data and like create recommendations and like make sense of it you know and that's that's a hard thing to do indeed and what's that quote um anything worth improving is worth measuring Hmm. you know so I, I don't know, even if the drills aren't into you and you like don't care if your line quality is that great and you don't care like what uh, angle that you draw the best lines and that kind of thing, you can still do this. It's like every every six months, draw the same thing and, you know, just see if it, hopefully it's getting better and better. That'd be really cool. Uh, like maybe every month you draw the same dragon from the same um, like angle. Yeah. And then post it over 
you know, a period of time. Yeah, for sure. Anyways. Um, yeah. Unity tip. Unity tip. I don't know which one this is. <laughs> Four, 58. Seven. <laughs> 138. Number Jeff. <laughs> yeah, number Tiger Hat. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. This week's Unity tip is all about uh, enemy AI detection. Mm. And the way that uh, I did this in HTML5 land was that I would um, basically use the quad tree to look up stuff within uh, a radius of the enemy. So give us a quick summary of a quad tree for those who don't know. A quad tree is like, uh, it's a data structure that is a tree, a tree structure, uh, which means that it has leaves or nodes, and each of those nodes has its own set of nodes. Okay. So if you think about a tree branch, you have like a trunk that splits off into some number of branches, and each of those branches splits off into sub-branches, and each of those branches splits off into, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's how the data structure works. A tree data structure is like, it has a root node, which has any number of children, and those number of children have any number of children, and so on and so forth. Gotcha. And a quad tree specifically is a tree structure where each node only has four children. Hence the quad. Hence the quad, right. So you take the root, and you divide it into four, and those are like the four quadrants of the screen, essentially. Uh, It's mostly used for like spatial segmentation. Yeah, you use it in uh, AWL one for optimization purposes, right? It's gotcha. really great for a collision because, you know, basically what you can do is you can put all of your entities into this quad tree, and like, what happens is is you get these grouping of entities that are basically tied to these nodes that are in quadrants of the screen or sub quadrants of those quadrants, right? And then when you want to do a collision lookup, you just say, "Here's the rectangle that I want to see what is colliding with it," and you can evaluate just the tree nodes that are near that object. And so you can return only the stuff that's in the relative vicinity of the thing you're trying to collide with. Right. Uh, And therefore you have to do many fewer calculations about, you know, is this colliding A with B, A with C, A with D, whatever. And so now you're using that with uh, enemy AI. Uh, No. (laughs) Well, I don't know how Inuity implements it under the hood, but... The Unity tip for this week is uh, using the kind of built-in Unity um, colliders for enemy AI detection. Um, and there's two different ways to go about it. And the first one is um, just using uh, like a collider. So typically when you think about a collider in Unity, it's for like, did this thing actually collide with this other thing? Right. Um, and so like you might have an enemy and he has a circle collider that's the roughly the shape of his body. And you have the player who has a circle collider who's roughly the shape of his body. <laughs> and if they collide, then, you know, one of them takes damage or whatever. Yeah. Um, but what I've done in some instances is I've put a sub-object on the enemy, which I called a radar, and I've given it a circle collider with a very large range. Essentially the range at which I want it to detect the player. And you turn it into a trigger so it doesn't perform a physics collision. It just raises an event when it collides with something. And what you can do then is then you have this enemy who has this big radar, and whenever something like the player touches that radar, you know, it'll throw an event on the uh, on that object, and you can capture it and say, oh, you know, is the player now within range of this thing? Right. I'll shoot at him or I won't or whatever, or I'll yeah. chase him, whatever it happens to be. So I think that that's um, it's really powerful because it's really easy, 
and Unity does all the heavy lifting for you um, because it's already optimized to um, you know detect collisions and figure out what's colliding with what. And due to the way the layers work, you have a lot of control over which kinds of things uh, would collide with it. So you can say, you know, give the enemy's radar a radar collision group and then, or layer in Unity it's called, and then say that it collides only with the player and then it'll only detect and look for collisions involving the player object. Gotcha. And so you won't have to worry about, you know, filtering down that list like, oh, there are 10 game objects within the radius of this plant monster and is one of them the player. And so, uh, yeah. Anyways, leveraging Unity's built-in colliders, I think, can um, not only be used for just collision, but actually for, like, enemy detection of uh, of the player or vice versa. Nice. Yep. Um, and the other thing that uh, you can use for that kind of stuff for is what's called ray casting or line casting. Um, and that's just where you basically send out a ray from the enemy to some location, um, and it will return the first game object that it hits. Yeah. And uh, that's another really useful tool to use for enemy AI because you can like cast a ray and you can say is the player within uh you know in front of me. And the reason that this is actually really um useful too is because it allows you to kind of organically account for things like walls or or blocks. So one thing that was never great in AWO1 was that you know we had this kind of code that said uh, is the player entity within this circular radius of the enemy? Right. And if the answer is yes, then do something. But it never could take account into account the fact that there might be a barrel in the way that would stop it from getting right. there, or a wall, or whatever. <laughs> That's one of those tickets in the sauna we've had open for like a year and a half. Yeah. Like, make things, look at, make sure there's nothing in the way... So that's where raycasting comes in is that you can draw a line from the enemy to the player or from the enemy just to some arbitrary direction. Right. Let's say the enemy's facing left. You just draw a line from the left and you say, what's the first thing that gets hit by this line? And if it's the player, then you know you have a clear line of sight to the player. And if it's a barrel, then you know there's a barrel in your way and you don't do anything. I'm still in love with raycasting. I still someday want to make something like Doom... You know, that that raycasts and creates this kind of pseudo 3D world. Right. Uh, I know that it's like this outdated, pretty much dead technology at this point. There's no, especially if we're using Unity, there's no reason <laughs> to do raycasting. And I remember my last attempt at it was obviously in HTML5 JavaScript and uh, just not the right platform for that because it's really computationally expensive, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, man, I always wanted to do it, and I never did. And it's it's still itchy in the back of my mind somewhere. It's like raycasting is cool. Raycasting is cool, but raycasting has a lot of applications outside of just that first person renderer. You know, it's true. Uh, lighting is yeah. something that you can do with raycasting that looks really good. Um, like that lighting that we have in ADBL two right now, um, basically uses raycasting to figure out where the shadows right the shadows lie and things like that. Um, there's a cool HTML5 lighting demo by uh, Nikki Case. Yep. Um, that shows exactly how to do this ray casting lighting engine in HTML5. Um, I'll send you the link and you can put that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all kinds of uses, not only for visual stuff, but also just for like enemy AI or, or player AI or anything that needs to know, hey, do I have line of sight on this 
position. Right. So anyways, yeah, that's uh, that's this week's Unity tip is, uh, you know, using the colliders and ray casting for enemy AI to make your life much easier uh, and simpler when it comes to creating behaviors for your AI. Very nice. Yeah. Measure your arts and uh, use rays. Use ray guns. <laughs> Those are our tips for this week. We were also thinking that maybe we'd put our heads together and come up with a, a general game dev tip for each week. Because boy, we, are there just hundreds of those, right? Yeah. Like, keep it simple and, I don't know, don't start with multiplayer <laughs> early on. Uh, I feel like a lot of your art tips could actually just be game dev tips, too. A lot of That's them why like, I talk about them, honestly. Like, yeah, yeah, if it wasn't for that comparison there, I, what, is this the art cast now? It's like, no, like, everything, like, that's one of the reasons <laughs> I, I think I've been as interested in art as I am this whole time is because there's almost nothing that I learn in art that doesn't apply directly to what we're doing with development and, and the business and marketing, you know, it's like, there's such good takeaways. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap in creative disciplines. As yeah, for sure. Before. So, uh, next big topic is a WL2 Kickstarter one week from today. Woo. The very next episode. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do it exactly, but Pretty much when that episode goes live, the Kickstarter will also be live. And also, that's when our desperation begins. <laughs> <laughs> that's when we need your help. That's right. What do you think, Please. Jeff? Are people um, going to be there for I'm us? I'm excited. Are you nervous, though? Oh, yeah. I'm always nervous. What do you think our chances are of getting a successfully funded campaign? I couldn't even say. I, I think it's a coin flip or worse. <laughs> a coin flip or worse. <laughs> <laughs> worse than a coin flip, perhaps. I don't know. The more... I, I go up and down. You know how it is. Like yeah. we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. Like sometimes we're very confident, and sometimes uh, we're apologizing for everything. <laughs> I saw a graph the other day um, about like anxiety and confidence levels over yeah. the course of your game dev project, and it's like it's like good and bad, and good and good, and then you, the closer you get to launch, basically, it just becomes like this, you know, earthquake Richter scale of yeah. like ups and downs. So your left, your right, whoosh, like you're just like scribbling on a sheet of paper. Ah. Your emotions yeah. are everywhere. Pretty much. It's, it's pretty close to how it is with the Kickstarter, too. Um, you know, hopefully we have a lot of stuff working in our favor uh, more than <laughs> when we did the first Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, we we like, do, for sure. I mean, you know, measuring it, there's it's objectively, we have a bigger audience. We've got more Twitter followers. We have more Lost Cast listeners. We have tens of thousands of people who, are, uh, who have played the first game or familiar with it, have maybe even bought it. And uh, we didn't have that at all going with the first campaign, which was like Crypt Run, which even right off the bat, it wasn't as memorable. It wasn't as, uh, well, hopefully, it didn't have as good of a hook and that kind of stuff, you know? Like, it feels to me, like yesterday, I was feeling this really strongly. It feels a lot like we're right back to where we were like two years ago or more uh, with the first Kickstarter, right? It feels just like that. There's just as much like unknown and anxieties and that kind of stuff. But, but... We are, we're better at what we do, you know, we have better tools now, we have bigger audience, we have done the Kickstarter once before, so we should, in theory, be better at that. Like, everything seems to be aligned correctly, but I, it does not really help my confidence. Well, I think that you and I both realize that the games industry, despite your best preparation or whatever, like, it's a hit-driven business, and yeah. sometimes you just can't tell what is going to be successful or not you know yeah you could you could think you have all the right 
pieces in place and for whatever reason it's just not the right time or it's not the right product or it's not the right audience or whatever you know could fail or it could be like uh crazy successful who knows i remember for some reason this um company name that stuck with me <laughs> because it was uh it didn't make any sense to me when i first read it i think in the context it was i was reading an article in either casual connect magazine or maybe it was before game developer magazine died i don't really remember but there was this game company called uh, i was like nobody knows I was like, what? And that came from nobody knows. Hmm. Their their concept being that nobody knows what the next hit game is going to be. I see. Which, I mean, there's some level of naivety there. Like, some people might say that they know, right? But the honest, if we're being very honest, yeah. Like, no one saw Flappy Bird <laughs> being a huge hit. You know, and like, that's, that's part of it sometimes is people don't know what in the world is going to work with the market until it hits the market and is either you know, catastrophic uh, failure or big success or uh, somewhere in between. And I think that you see that even with like the big, big Kickstarters, I think there was, you know, there was like uh, the Castlevania reboot thing that oh, did yeah. amazingly well. And then there was another one. Um, I think it was by the same guy that did the mega number nine, mm-hmm. mighty number nine. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it just went terribly and like, I don't get it who knows you know it's like i don't yeah there's no miss. rhyme to the reason right like i <laughs> yeah. look at them and i'm like this looks really solid and i thought they had a giant audience and what was the other big one shenmue made like millions of dollars yeah i i don't understand uh I, I look at other kickstarters you know i try to keep my finger on the pulse i will at least say that we've done a ton of research and i think that it's a good sign like a good measurement you know of you having enough knowledge when you start to see the repeating patterns you know like i've read three articles that say the same thing you know, so that feels to me like a learned thing about the current, at least, you know, the best we can do, the, the current state of what Kickstarter might be like. You know, mm-hmm. so we've, we've done a lot of research and we're really trying to put our best foot forward. So I feel good about that. And when you go back and look at the <laughs> Crypt Run, it's an embarrassing Kickstarter. You know, it's really, <laughs> it's really amateur. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Well, it's like anything else, right? Like the first time you do it, it sucks. <laughs> and uh, the next time you do it, it's a little better. Yeah. So yeah, we're excited for that. Um, hope you guys are excited as well. One week from today, so uh, I really got to get working on some stuff. Yeah, we've really got to finalize, especially the video and just some extra graphics for the campaign page and like some additional messaging probably. Because like, you know, we're trying to explain what we know for sure about the game, but there are some unknown, just like there are with game development. Like if we're being honest, we're not going to say that we know everything about what the game's going to be like because our plan is to work on it for another year, you know, and a lot can change. And we've... We know from experience that that like our path could be very different than what we planned. Like, look at Crypt Run turning into a wizard's lizard. You know, like yeah. if you had told us that <laughs> when we launched Crypt Run, the campaign, we would have been like, "What? Wait, we're changing the name? What's wrong with us?" But it yeah. t- ended up being the right decision. You know, yeah, games are an iterative process. Um, iterative, yeah, so definitely. It, that's one of the trouble or one of the hard parts about Kickstarter is that um, you want to give people as much information as possible, um, but at the same time, you yourself don't even always know uh, exactly how those things are going to turn out in practice you know once you it's like once you put pencil to paper a lot of the things that you thought either aren't true or (laughs) aren't as fun as you thought or they conflict directly once you see them in action and things like that yeah yeah definitely so uh basically my goal is to get people amped up I want to get people excited and um, like my job is because, you know, the marketing hat fell on my head. Uh, I mean, we both do it and stuff like that, but it's, you know, the default 
is is going to be me. So I'm like, I'm going to be hitting that month. Like it's basically September. That's one thing I like about this campaign. It's nice and simple. You know, we talked before about how there's some kind of a mental thing that helps people where it's like, look, it's just September. There is no next month here. It's just September. So it's like, if you're going to back us, if you're going to support us, if you're going to tweet, if you're going to make a Reddit post, if you're going to tell your friends, if you're going to make a Steam forum thread, whatever you're going to do to help us, it's got to be in September because after that, it won't help us, you know? <laughs> That's right. Um, so I like that. I like that thinking there. And like during the month of September, uh, basically, I'm just going to be hitting it as hard as I can. I'm going to be doing uh, streams, live streams on Twitch. I'm going to be making some YouTube videos. I'm going to be writing articles in Gama Sutra. I'm going to be emailing people. I'm it's basically going to be exhausting and like, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to it. It would be pretty fun, but I know that it's going to wear me out. <laughs> I had this funny idea Ooh. for a movie. What? It's you, <laughs> me, but like Groundhog Day and you're reliving the same campaign month over and over and over again. <laughs> the same month? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. That's so much time. Yeah. Because in Groundhog Day, Bill Murray, like, you know, like, he'll, like, punch a cop or something. He doesn't care because he goes to jail and the next morning he wakes up and he's, like, back in his bed, right? For a whole month, I'd be like, you know, I start to lose my mind and, like, at the thousandth interval, I'm going insane. I just start killing people and I'm like, <laughs> man, that was rough because I did that on, like, day three. So, I had, like, 27 days of living as, like, you're a serial killer and everyone hates you. <laughs> and I'm like, that was the worst. I don't recommend that. <laughs> yeah, it's probably I got, like, morbid good. quickly, didn't it? Very probably not a very good movie idea. <laughs> Let's see, what would that be called? The Infinite Kickstarter. Uh, well, that gave me shudders. The Infinite Kickstarter. The Infinite Kickstarter. <laughs> My own personal hell. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, don't forget to catch our live streams uh, Monday at 6 p.m. Pacific. And uh, come hang out with us on the forum at forum.lostagamegames.com. We are going to play you out with yet another Joshua Moore song. This one's called Glitch. Ship it.
I don't really use my computer while we're podcasting anyway. In fact, right now I'm just going to like lean back in my chair. I've got my headset on. I've got my mic in my hand. I'm surprised you don't just lay on the couch. I should. <laughs> kind of like when we were podcasting at your house and I was just like melting, melting into your couch. And if you use the, uh, the mic stand, you could just point the mic at your face and then <laughs> you could like practically fall asleep while you're podcasting. <laughs> Yeah, unity. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say it doesn't. It's like the opposite of a power stance. Yeah, it's like a, a weakness stance. 